Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 to 22. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. God had th- Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on the earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood, make rooms in it, and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, and 30 cubits high. Make a roof for it, leaving below the roof an opening one cubit high all around. Put a door on the side of the ark and make lower, middle, and upper decks. I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens, every creature that has breath of life in it. Everything on earth will perish, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, and of every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away as food for you and for them. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So Noah's ark, that's what we're looking at this morning. Noah's Ark. You know, I think it doesn't matter who you are. I think all kinds of people actually have heard this story on, on some level, whether that's sort of limited to Evan Almighty or to uh, Russell Crowe's. Anyone seen Russell Crowe's Noah? Yeah. Even if people's knowledge of Noah's Ark is like limited to that, I think most people have asked, you know, what's the story about? Would be able to say, well, it's about. And a guy who made a big boat, and there was a uh, flood, and lots of people got killed, and there was a, a dove and a, a, a rainbow. And I, I think most people kind of get the gist of the story. But if you were to ask people, you know, is it true? Did this actually happen? You would get a, a, a span of uh, reactions to that. I think on the kind side, people would say, now it's, it's a myth. Never happened. It was probably plagiarized from the Epic of Gilgamesh. Have you read the Epic of, okay. Uh, or all the way to the other side, which is that, you know what, the, the way that God is depicted in this story kind of comes across as a, uh, sort of a, a petulant child. 
with a magnifying glass who scorches us uh, and to, with maniacal glee. And I think this is a very troubling story, if we're honest and if we look at it together. But I think that one thing we've got to ask is, who is this God? Who is he? I mean, who is this God who would send a flood that would, would kill real people with a real flood? Who is this God? And I think that's a vitally important question. Because here we are, we're gathered here, we are, we are worshiping the God of this scripture, and we are going to leave and we are going to serve the God of this scripture. But who is this God? And I think the story, once you, know, you take off the barnacles of cultural understanding, I think what we find here is that, that God is a, he's a just judge on the one hand. And on the other, he's also he's a gracious savior. And I hope as we look at this story together that, that both will be clear because this is who our God is. So first, he is, he is a just judge. Now let's get the context straight. All right, what's going on in the story? What's happening? Well, what, what we see is that there are people and they are not good. Okay, this is, this is bad. It says in God's word that uh, when God looked down from heaven, he saw that the entire earth was wicked and that every inclination of everyone's heart was only evil all the time. Verse 5. Verse 11, it says that people were corrupt and there was violence everywhere. Now listen, I don't think we know what it, what it is to live in this kind of world. Maybe you do. But the world as it is described here was bad. And, and uh, can you imagine living in a world that is full of violence? And where everything everybody does, everyone does is just wicked and corrupt and violent. Like, I don't think we know what that world is. As difficult as life has been, we just don't know that world. But here's God's response. And it is, it's intense. Because nothing like it has been done before and nothing like it has been done since. Here's what God says. The Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race that I have created. And with them, the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground. That's disturbing. Yes, that's disturbing. And it would be disturbing if it was a local flood. But I just don't see anything in this passage that would suggest that it was a local flood. I see a lot here in our story that would strongly suggest that this was a global flood, which makes it even more disturbing. Why? Because if this was a local flood, why did God tell Noah to make an ark? He could have said to Noah, just start walking. 120 years he had to walk. Now, I don't know how far you can walk in 120 years, but my best bet is that he would have, he would have been able to walk to safety. 
Yes? And then why did God say, you know, put birds in the ark? If it was just a local flood, they could have, I don't know, flown away? And, and why does the scripture say that the, the waters rose and covered the highest mountains? How does that work if it was a local flood? And, and why are we told in the story that the flood lasted for a solid year? If it was a local flood, you would have expected the waters to have pulled away and dissipated. And why... Like, what do, how do we make sense of God's promise to never again destroy the earth with a flood when we have seen so many local floods that have been so catastrophic? Hmm. I don't see anything in the story that would suggest it was a local flood. I see everything here that would strongly suggest that this was a global flood, a flood that encompassed the, kept the entire world that deluge this planet as we know it. Don't you find that disturbing? That God would send a flood to this world and just cover it and destroy it? That is a disturbing concept. And it's difficult, I think, to conceive of a God who is so just that he would do such a thing. However, I think we all want God to be this just. I think we do. I think we do. Because unless God is this just, then, then how are we really going to deal with the outrage in our hearts when we see real injustice and real violence take place? Look, at if there's no God, if there's no God, and if there's no basis for justice. Look at if we're just animals, if we're just fish, then then on what basis would we be outraged and deal with the violence and the injustice in the world? Look at if we're just fish, who cares? Do you know what fish do? Listen, I, 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 I know something about fishing. I know that fish eat fish. You know, when you're on the lake, what's going on underneath, it is all out war and barbarism and savagery. It's, it's, it's brutal. Fish spend their entire time eating fish. When you go fishing, do you know why you catch a fish? Because it thinks it's a fish. Right? Like on what basis? On what basis do we have any right to be outraged at the injustice and the violence in the world or even that which is done against us? If we're just fish. You know, I'll tell you a story. This is a crazy story. It happened this week. I'm driving home. My cul-de-sac, and there are a number of police cruisers just sitting there. I'm like, what's going on? And I, I talk to Wendy when I get home. This is what's happened. This is crazy. A company had just gone to someone's house, my neighbor's house. He's 90 years old, asking if they could do some work, fix the fence in the backyard. While they're while they're fixing the fence, they quietly sneak onto the roof and start ripping off the tiles on the top of the roof and make holes. They go down and they say to this guy, you've got a problem with your roof. You got holes in it, but we can fix it for a price. 
And the guy's like, that's strange. I just put that thing up four years ago. He goes, well, look it. We're going to do it. And you're going to pay us. And we'll be back tomorrow. And you had better pay us. And now this guy is nervous. And he doesn't know what to do. 90 years of age. His next door neighbor hears a debate, an argument between this man and the contractors. They leave, and he goes over to them and says, listen, you got to call the cops. He goes, I'm afraid to call the cops. What will they do to me if I call the cops? He says, you got to call the cops. He calls the cops. The cops come. They're waiting inside. They're waiting inside this guy's house. The shady contractor knocks on the door. The door opens, and there are the cops. And they cuff him. My next door neighbor who watched this, when he saw the guy being hauled out in cuffs, wanted to cheer. And don't you? Don't you? It, I mean, we, we want justice, don't we? We do want justice in this world. Now, here's the thing. I think most of us want justice for really bad people, for shady contractors. True? We just don't want God's justice when it comes to our relatively small indiscretions and missteps. Yeah? But here's the thing. The Bible says that we have all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. It's God's judgment. That's what God's word says. And we have to ask this question, like what does our sin, even one sin mean to an infinitely pure and holy God? And I want to suggest to you from the scriptures that this holy and righteous and pure and infinitely just God cannot just like wink at sin and pretend it's no big deal. His justice demands justice. It does. Listen, the punishment has got to meet the crime. And our sin is a crime against an infinitely beautiful and holy God. That means the consequence must be infinite justice. It must be. Do you see that? This is who our God is. He is infinitely just. He is absolutely, completely, infinitely just. And this passage that we're looking at this morning is pointing us. It's pointing us ahead to a day of God's judgment. When the world will be judged. And that day is coming. Second Peter 3 tells us that the story of Noah and the judgment we see here was a picture pointing to that great day that is inevitably going to come. The judge of earth will judge this earth. And I just want to know what God feels about that. Like, I want to know what he felt about sending that flood. What I don't see here in this story is a, is a God who is wringing his hands with glee who is just spoiling to deluge the world in water. I see a God here who is brokenhearted. It says that God, he just, 
He resented that he had made human beings. He just was so grief-stricken. It grieved him in his heart. It says he was troubled. And I know this, that God takes no delight in the death of the wicked. Ezekiel chapter 3. And I know that God is, is, is not willing that any would perish. Like if, if we're reading this passage and if we're looking at God's justice and we see this, this petulant child with his magnifying glass itching to burn us, you don't see him here in this passage. This is a God who creates his, his creatures His creatures leave him, forsake him. He is heartbroken, and he must act in justice. He must. It would be unjust for him not to. The bottom line is that when it comes to God's judgment... People are going to basically make their choice one way or the other. C.S. Lewis said that there are two kinds of people. There are people who say to God, your will be done. Or there are people who God says to them, your will be done. You never wanted me. You never listened to me. You never lived as my creature. You wanted to do your own thing then do your own thing. And that's what the Bible calls hell. And I wish I could erase hell from the Bible. C.S. Lewis said if there was one doctrine that he could just get rid of, it would be this one. And so I understand that, but we can't. Because to erase hell and to erase God's judgment is to erase God and the God who he is. He is the just God of all heaven and earth. This is a difficult passage. I understand that. But I think we have to look at this and think through this together because there are some implications here. One is, if you are feeling uncomfortable about this passage, you should be feeling uncomfortable about this passage. This is an unnerving story. We are seeing a just judge act in justice. And he will act in justice. I think we have to come to terms and really wrestle with what that means. Because this is who God is. And I I think that that means that we have to be very circumspect about how we think of God's judgment and not be glib about it. And I think the reality of God's judgment, it's, it's got to stir up in our hearts something that looks like, that approaches empathy and brokenheartedness for those who are lost. Man, I think of people who I know who are walking away from God, who want nothing to do with God, and you know those people in your lives. And I think to myself, what will be their fate if they never turn to God? And I would say that that's got to do something to our hearts. 
And I know we don't think about this a lot. We don't want to think about this, but we need to think about it. Knowing the terror, the fear of God, we persuade people, Paul said, right? And I think we have to think about people. I think we have to think about them humbly, not glibly. I think we have to think about them with the heart of God, which is completely broken in this story. Don't you see that? Do you think he wanted to do this? I don't see him wanting to do this. God is not willing that any should perish, but that people would come to repentance. And I know that some of you this morning are probably thinking of family that have passed on and have died, and from what you can tell, they didn't die in faith. And some of you have family right now, and you have friends, and you've got coworkers, and they seem so far from anything that would resemble repentance and faith. What do I say to you this morning? I would say this, that there isn't one of us here in this room who really ultimately knows or can tell where a person is at with God. And I, I choose to believe that because I choose to comfort myself with that truth. That there's one judge and one judge who knows the heart of men and women. And I'm going to let God be God and I know that the judge of all earth will do what is right. But I'm also going to trust that God's going to be gracious. Because he is gracious. And he's not only a just judge, he is a gracious savior. And I think the story this morning that we're looking at makes that so clear. Genesis will make that clear. All the way through, we're seeing sin, judgment, but grace and salvation, it's here in our story. Let's look at it. The whole earth is, is wicked and evil and corrupt and violent, but there's one man who finds favor in the sight of God. His name is Noah, whose name means rest. And Noah was a man favored by God. He was a man that received the grace of God. It says that he was blameless in his generation. But I want you to know this, that the reason why God showed favor to him wasn't because he was blameless. The reason he was blameless was because God favored him. God had grace on this man, and that grace changed his life into a, a man who walked blamelessly in his generation and walked faithfully before God in that same generation. And God said, Noah, I'm going to save you and your family from what's about to come. And God was gracious to this man. Now listen, this is the God of grace. Every single one of us here in this room deserves God's just judgment. But the great news is this, that even though we deserve that because we've earned it, because we've sinned, that God in his grace freely gives his grace to people and saves them, just as he did Noah. And when, and when God saves a person, that same God begins to change a person's life. 
And that person begins to exercise faith. And I mean real faith, saving faith, active faith. I mean, look at Noah. Look at Noah. God told Noah to do something absolutely insane, absolutely incredible. Something that people would say was stupid. He told him to make an ark. And this ark was huge. It, it, you probably noticed in your text there are some measurements called cubits. I did the translation here for you. It was 4,450 feet long, 45 feet high, and 75 feet wide. It's a big boat. And, and God said to Noah and the family, you've got 120 years to make this boat. And so they made it. They began to, for 120 years in the desert with no water around, Noah and his family made this ark. And God said, I want you to make three levels in it. I want you to put a door on it. I want there to be an opening around the top. And I want you to do it. And Noah did it. And then God said, I want you to bring all the animals into the ark. Now, I know that some of you this morning are probably thinking, come on, right? All of the animals, all of the species in the world onto this boat. Look, at, I'm not a mathematician, but it doesn't add up. Well, here, he didn't say bring all the species. He said bring all the animals according to their kind. So wouldn't have brought a number of dogs, would have brought one family of dogs. That's all that was needed, right? And they would not have had to be old. They were probably young, small, eat less, poo less, longer, reproductive life. So there may have been something like 6,000 animals on this thing. Completely possible. So there they are. He brings them onto this, this ark because God says so. He makes this thing. He brings the animals onto this ark, and he just sits there with his family while the entire generation around him is scoffing at him and laughing at him. And we're told in the word of God that he spent those years preaching to that generation, that the spirit of God was preaching and calling people to repentance. Listen, that's a hard thing to do, to build a boat, to fill the boat, to preach that generation. This was a man who lived by faith. God did not make the boat for Noah and his family. He had Noah make the boat. It was by faith that Noah made the boat. Now listen, God is calling you, child of God, to live a life of faith. And it is not easy to live this life of faith. In many ways, it makes no sense whatsoever. You cannot see God. You cannot see him right now. But you love him. And you're trying to do what he's called you to do. That's difficult. And by the way, what is he calling you to do? What is that difficult thing just like with Noah? He's asking you to do where he's asking you to actually put your faith into action. What is that thing? Because you see this, this God of grace, 
He gives us this grace, not just only to save us, but to give us a living faith. And a living faith that often makes no sense in this world, but makes a lot of sense to him. What is the hard thing right now that God is asking you to do? What is that thing? That's the life of faith. It's a question that we all have to answer for ourselves. But it's a question we have to answer. This I know about the story. When Noah got onto that boat, there was a lot more that he brought into that boat than animals and his family. Noah brought his sin onto that boat. And his family brought their sin onto that boat. And that boat saved them from physical death. But here's what it didn't do and what it couldn't do. It could not save anybody from spiritual death. It could not take away the sin in anyone's heart. It would require another ark. And the Bible is pretty clear what that ark is. The New Testament says that this ark pointed to Jesus Christ. And here's what Jesus does. He comes into this world and he enables us not to avoid judgment, but to pass through the judgment of God as we find ourselves in him. And rather than experiencing that judgment by the just judge, he endures that judgment in our place so that we won't experience it, but so that we'll be saved. And child of God, this morning, if you are hiding yourself in Jesus Christ, you must know this, that you have passed through judgment because Christ bore that judgment for you and you're saved. You may not be sure of that. You may have some doubts about that this morning, and I understand that. I have my doubts at times too. But one thing I come back to is this. Have you in faith got into Christ? Have you said, I have sinned against a holy God and I need Jesus Christ to be my covering and my ark, the one who saves me from divine justice and the one who welcomes me into new life. If you have prayed that and said that and believe it, you need to know this morning that you're saved. Your conscience may accuse you. Your actions may accuse you. But I would say for every time you look at your sin, take 10 looks at Christ, the one who bore God's judgment for you. And God is gracious. He is gracious to forgive our sins. He's gracious to save us. He gave his own son to be our savior. And you need to know this morning that God says to you, I have saved you and you're safe and you're mine. If you're not there yet, if you're not there yet, I want to invite you to be there today. Because there will be a judgment. 
And I don't want you to go and experience that judgment. I want you to turn to Christ, and I want you to trust that he took that judgment for you. And what that can look like this morning is it's just this. I believe that. And I don't want to live my own life anymore. I want to follow you, and I want to live and love Jesus Christ with all my heart. Will you accept me as your child today? God will do that. This morning, this weekend is Thanksgiving. And that means different things to different people. But one thing I think we can settle on this morning is this. We've got a reason to be thankful. You've got a reason to be thankful. God is a just judge. He is also an incredibly gracious Savior. Think about this weekend. Think about how he has come to you and given you that love that you didn't deserve and washed your sins away and given you his son who bore his judgment on your behalf and how he found you and where he found you And the fact that he did find you, that's grace. And that's something to give thanks for this weekend. Amen. Let's pray. Just judge and gracious Savior. It's right for us to be sobered by this passage, Lord. To be sobered at the, just the, magn- the, ma- the majesty of your justice, but also the magnitude of your grace. Father, we feel like we have entered into a holy space and that we're on holy ground. And Father, it is, it's, just, it's so right and appropriate for us to just pause and to know who you are and to let misconceptions about who you are disperse and for our eyes to be open so that we can see you. Father, you're calling us to worship you. And our heart's longing, Father, is to worship you as you are. So, Lord, we thank you for removing the scales this morning. And we thank you for giving us the glasses and the eyesight that we need to see you more clearly. God, forgive us for thinking that you are anything other than who you are. And would you help and would you align our hearts to the greatness of who you are? And God, would you cause us to just revel in the fact that though you are so just, yet you have had mercy on us in Christ. And our prayer, Father, this morning is that not one of us will be found outside of Christ, outside of that ark, but all safe within. And Father, thriving within, thankful within, amazed 
that you and your grace have found us in Christ. And Father, let that just be that key that our hearts are tuned to this weekend and for all of our days. And let that change us. And let that compel us to live for you and live for you in this generation that you've placed us in, to be a light and a salt, a salt of the earth. We ask these things, please, O oh God, in Jesus' name, amen.